Welcome once again, my friends, to the Global Gale podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor, and this is about the most stressed out intro to this podcast that you're ever going to hear. What you heard in the background there was the Lewis passing me by, because I'm in Dublin, lads, right? And what I'm over here to do, well, I'm over here to talk to one of the people that I've wanted to have on this podcast since the very beginning. And that person is none other than the leader of Sinn Féin, and possibly Ireland's next next T-shirt, lads, Mary Lou MacDonald. Uh, Mary Lou was somebody that I've known for a while. I think I met her in the course of media work and that kind of thing. And I've always found her to be a very sympathetic person, a very intelligent person, but also somebody who is very conscious of the Irish abroad. I was talking to somebody recently um, about uh, how you know political parties don't really bother with the Irish abroad, but Sinn Féin made great efforts, especially in Ireland and Great Britain. Now, the only problem is this, lads. Uh, I was supposed to be there, I thought, on a Thursday at 4 o'clock. And it's Tuesday, and it's seven minutes past four, and the phone rings, and Mary Lou goes, are we not supposed to meet today? I was going, no, no, that's Thursday. And she says, Philip, I'm staring at me calendar here, and you were supposed to be here seven minutes ago. So I am tearing in now towards uh, the doll office to sit down with Mary Lou. And this is not going to be a conversation like the ones that you'll have heard on the Late Late Show and uh, other Irish media outlets, because that's not of interest to us, right? We want to speak to Mary Lou from the perspective of Irish people abroad, and that's the way we're going to take it. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. So um, the next time you'll hear from me, hopefully I'll be sitting somewhere in the doll, chatting with the leader of Sinn Féin. Here you are. At last, two days earlier than what I had planned. I swear to God, Flip, which of us is worse? I mean, I, I, I thought, I, I was freaking out thinking, it is this Tuesday. Oh my God, I hope you didn't think it was last Tuesday, but you thought it was Thursday. I did indeed. Like we're in parallel time zones. Well, you're going to be in a different time zone tomorrow in New York. Yes, so I'm glad I, I like to catch am. up when I did. Well, listen, it's my pleasure and welcome. Falsha, Gadima Ifik, to my, uh, my little Ifik. Yeah, Ifik on a Ganohuk. So there's stuff kind of your, your listeners won't know, but. I think you can testify to the general disarray of my office. <laughs> Look at that's because I work hard. Philip. This is the thing. This right. is the thing, and I think uh, untidiness and genius go oh, hand in hand. Oh, thank you. Um, I, no, I'm far know. too modest to comment on that. <laughs> Come here to me. We're here for the Global Gale podcast, and to be, I've you know had good responses from some politicians and that kind of thing. But you were the first one who sort of leapt off the page and went right. Come in. I want to talk to you. Right. Could we maybe start with your own experience of emigration? Is there anybody in your family? Have you ever lived abroad yourself? Well, I have, but my, my experience of living abroad is fairly limited. I lived in Spain, in Andalusia, oh, for, nice. what, a year and a half. I've been over and back, but a lot of my, the, the life that I chose mm. for reasons that are, I think, fairly obvious, kind of anchored me to home. Yeah. Um. So, but yes, I have a sister who lives in Britain but had lived in the United States for a long number of years. I have a brother actually who's just back from Australia, mm-hmm. having been away for more than a decade. So that's kind of my direct familial experience. It's not me going for long periods yeah. of time, but certainly um, of in the case of my elder sister, she graduated university and was gone like within two days yeah. or three days to Boston. Um, And in the case of my brother, he had been in Dublin. They had kind of, he had settled with his partner. They had their first child and then they left. And you know what? That nearly killed my mother. She always said, do you know if he had gone, even when he was like 19 or 20, but he was 
he was at a different stage in his mm. life. He's now, he's home. Yeah. And that's a whole journey yeah, when you yeah. come home. And I'm seeing that through his eyes now. So that's my experience uh, of it. But I've been kind of by accident, by design, personally, probably more of a home bird in yeah. my own kind of life. But what I have had um, the opportunity of because of the work that I do is to travel to the United States of America, to travel to Australia and to have access to that wide Irish community and I think they are incredible. And I know there's Irish people living not just in the States and in Oz or in New Zealand. Mm. We're all across the globe. But like those Irish communities are incredible. And I see them as part of our, like it is a global family. Mm. They're part of the, and, and need to be part of the Irish conversation. Yeah. And I think it's mistaken. It actually, if I'm honest, annoys me a little bit when there's kind of a dismissive thing yeah. around Irish people who live with ah, sure, what would they know? They haven't yeah. a clue. In my experience, my siblings that lived away from home very often would be on to something in the news mm -hmm. that happens sometimes even more quickly than me. <laughs> They'd be messaging me saying, what the hell is going on with the A, B or C? Yeah. So I know that our community that live, where if they're in Britain, obviously a huge community there or, or further afield, take a huge interest in what's happening at home and have a lot to offer here, mm. in my opinion. One of the questions that comes up all the time, and I've spoken to Larry Donnelly about this, I've had this conversation twice in the last 12 hours or so, right? And it's to do with votes for Irish people abroad, right? Yeah. And the instant reaction, actually I've had it three times, the instant reaction is, nope. And it's that line of, oh, no representation without taxation, without taxation right? taxation, yeah. In all three cases, they've got, well, maybe the presidential election. And I went, well, that's representation, right? How do you, from your family situation, your brother being abroad and only coming back mm. now, your sister coming back, mm. uh, and then there's always the argument made that, sure, you know, everybody's just going to vote for Sinn Féin anyway. So I'd assume... Oh, that'd be awful. <laughs> oh, we couldn't have that, Philip, I'd assume now. you'd be very pro <laughs> that. Steady on, steady on. Yeah. Is, is that one of those things, though? Because the other thing I would say is that, you know yourself, that the Irish diaspora is not... They're not all the same. We don't all wear the GAA jersey and drink pints of stout and cry, you know. Mm. Um, do you see it that way? Do you see a problem with that? Do you see that as an opportunity for, for you personally, for the party? Do you see it as an opportunity for Ireland to give people like me a vote? I think people like you should have a vote. I think we have been really, really conservative and slow on all of this. And I remember when the, there was a Citizens' Assembly, you see, mm. on this question around votes in presidential elections. And what it grappled with was votes for people north of the border mm -hmm. who carry Irish passports and are Irish citizens or otherwise with British passports, trying to figure out what that looks like in the presidential election. And then Irish people living further uh, afield. And that Citizens' Assembly was fascinating because what they did was they set up panels. It was, it was kind of like the Eurovision, except like a Paddy's... <laughs> Eurovision, um, you know, so you had like guys in Toronto or in Melbourne or whatever coming in and giving a view. Mm. Um, and the testimony was really, really powerful. And it really swung the case in favor of granting votes in the presidential election for Irish citizens living on the island of Ireland in its totality and people living uh, overseas. And I think we need to just get on with it and mm. actually make that right a reality. Far from diminishing anything, mm. I think that would add hugely to the standing, the mandate and the prestige of the Irish presidency. Mm. Because because of our history, forget even the direct, you know, people born in Ireland who have now gone harsolia. Mm. 
we have like historic communities of people because we were colonized because of hunger and poverty and conflict and all of that and that is a, it, that's a powerful thing that we have we, we should see that as a big opportunity for mm. us and so to me it's appropriate that our Uktaran, that Uktaran Naharan would mm. actually have a mandate from the global family there is a practical issue which is this if there are whatever tens of millions of people claiming Irish heritage, Irish people in yeah. America, obviously that would kind of tilt <laughs> de- things democratically, turn it a little bit on its head yeah. in terms of, you know, who gets to vote and the power of the vote. So I think we need to think about how you define the franchise yeah. for Irish people living away. But but the case has been answered as far as I'm concerned in the Citizens Assembly. Mm. Beyond that. I think we have to have a thought around looking at best practice elsewhere. Yeah. You know, see in the French system mm. where they have reserved seats for, you know, communities that, that live overseas, that live so away. So we would effect- effectively be a constituency. Yeah, where I, we would I think have, we need to yeah. talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I've, um, I, I think it's something that's worthy of discussion. Yeah. Um, I know myself, like when, when, do you remember when the last economic catastrophe struck and the Troika came into town and yeah, all of that and the banks were grand yeah. and everybody else was screwed yeah. at that time. And a lot of people had to go. I, I remember then even meeting people who had been away, yeah. who had come home sometimes with the, all their kids and mm. the whole family and then everything went horribly wrong and they had to go again. And I think, you know, as, as a society and as activists and political leaders, we need to be conscious of that experience. Yeah. Like lots and lots of people didn't go voluntarily. Yeah. They went because things went horribly wrong and because the political class failed. It was a big fail. Mm. Others will travel for, you know, out of choice. And that's great. The fame like, and fortune and all yeah, these things. I mean, we yeah. live on an island. We mm. shouldn't be. I'm not head up. But of course we have to travel. Mm. We're on an island. It's good that we travel. It's good that we go elsewhere and... But I'd always like to think that if you want to come back, that you have a way back. Mm. Um, and furthermore, when you're away from home, that you don't you don't get cut off entirely from the democratic and the political life yeah. of the country. I have to say, on a personal level, it's one of the things that's pained me greatly for 25 years because I lost a vote after a year and a half. I haven't voted for anything in Ireland since. Yeah. And I've only been allowed to vote in local elections in Sweden and in European elections in Sweden. That's just the way the rules work. And it, it, so I you really are disenfranchised. Entirely. Yeah, totally, and yeah. for somebody who is as interested... And the other thing is that what you do in this building affects me directly. Now, you can talk about taxation and all these other things. My parents still live here. My yeah. brother is still... My two brothers are still here. My niece or my nephew I'm going to collect now and bring to Tallah Stadium to watch yeah. TV. They all live here. So I do have a dog in this That's fight. Right. Of course you, know? you do, yeah. So I will be pressing you on these things. In no, the I'm... I'm and, it's, <laughs> and it's an area I'm really interested in because not least... I mean, I remember... Do you remember they have, I think they still do it where there's like a global Irish family meeting out in the Phoenix Park. Yeah. Uh, probably in Farmley. You know, when things got really tight and we were in trouble. Yeah, yeah. So we said, geez, we better talk to the lads, mm-hmm. you know, stateside or whatever and see, can they come and help? And all that's, that's fine. But this has to be a two-way process. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If we're saying to, you know, the, the global Irish community, look, and, and I am saying, and let me say it on your podcast, you see, those of you that work in 
medical and allied professionals, if you're a doctor, nurse, any mm. of that, you know, if you're thinking of coming home, please come home. We need, we need you. You. Yeah. you see, if you're good at building houses, if you're in construction, engineering, we need you. If you're in, an interest in renewables, particularly offshore wind energy, we mm. need you. I'm making my picture. This is a disgraceful exploitation of your podcast. I fully but, expected it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, we need you to, to come home. But, you know, there, there has to be a two-way street. You mm. have to be reasonable with people. And you need to give people acknowledgement. Mm. And I think it's an important thing for all of us who are Irish to have that acknowledged. Mm. I mean, hasn't that been one of the great challenges as we've kind of built peace on this island and this big, exciting, but complicated journey to mm. reconciliation about acknowledgement of yeah. each other and allowing people in and not being exclusive and saying, well, you know, if you're not living here and if you're not still in Donny Carney or wherever, yeah. tough, yeah. you're out. You're when you're out, you're this. out. Yeah. That's, yeah. It, it's, and we live in a global village anyway. So it's a very, um, it's very last century thinking. Yeah, I yeah. Think, yeah. Well, there was that thing of, you know, um, when people left and they, you just never saw them again, you know? Yeah. When all of these people that you've just convinced with that pitch come back, where are you going to put them? <laughs> <laughs> So um, this is like, as you know, the the big, I suppose if you were to describe politics in Ireland now, the big theme is change. The big debate is what does that change mean and what does it not mean? And then the big challenge, um, there are many of them, but the big challenge is a challenge around housing and accommodation. Mm. Right. So there's different layers to that. Um but the reality is that you have now whole generations of people who, who are never going to own their own home. Mm. And that might be okay if they could rent at a reasonable rate. That, that can't happen either. Mm. So the housing issue after the last election, the 2020 election, we were told by the incoming crew that, oh, we hear you, we know it's housing, we're going to sort it out. And they haven't. Mm. And they haven't for lots of reasons, but primarily they haven't because they are unprepared or incapable, mm. or both, of actually shifting gear in public policy terms. And there needs to be a fundamental change of gears. Some of that is systemic, like things like procurement rules, yeah. the public spending code, the planning system. I know it's, it's not sexy kind of, you know, stuff, but it's stuff that we need to get sorted out. It's the meat out. and potatoes of Absolutely. local politics, really. Absolutely. Huh? And then the other bit of it is, actually, and I, I've spoken to... Developers, small builders, medium-sized builders, approved housing bodies, local authorities, you name it. Like myself, Ona Bryn mm -hmm. and Pierce it mainly have been doing this big consultation. All of them tell us they can do more, they can do better, they can scale up. So now the state has to facilitate that. And we have to actually, the state has to accept a responsibility not to build all of the houses. Mm. That's not going to happen. We still need a very vibrant private endeavour, but the state has to step in for social housing and for affordable, affordable housing. Yeah. Affordable to buy, affordable to rent, not no, affordable housing. That nobody a can label afford. on it that you're saying, well, that's great. I mean, one, one uh, analysis uh, cited that you would have to have an individual or combined income of 128,000 euros a year to get like... For affordable housing. Yeah, I mean, come on. 
It's ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? That's insane. Yeah. So th- there needs, this will be the big thing. If we get the chance at government, and that's in the hands of the electorate, uh, we're going to work t- hard to try and get there. But if we do, housing will be the litmus test for mm. us. I mean, I'm clear on that. We're hanging our hat on that. A Sinn Féin government will build houses. Yeah. That's that's the message. This has been Owen's thing for years. And it's yeah. almost like, you know, you sort of stood back and went, okay, Oberyn, off yeah. you go. I remember Owen. I knew him when I was a teenager, yeah. you know. And he said an awful lot on that, as is Rory Hearn now, who's going to be a yes, candidate for the right. Social Democrats. That's right. Yeah, you that. mentioned the elephant in the room, right? I'm sitting across the table now from the person that many believe would be this country's next, next Taoiseach. Does that keep you awake at night? No, it Good. doesn't. I mean, first of all, like, I'm not presumptuous about that. I, I've no sense of, I was born to lead. You know, I'm not, I'm not one of those grandiose There's a few characters. people around here. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know that vibe. So, and I'm also very, very conscious that I currently lead the opposition, first woman to do so. Kind of proud of that achievement in its own Congratulations. right. But, um, like, we've a lot of work to do to mm. get there. So, and... It's by no means, you know, a preordained thing that I will be Taoiseach. I'm also conscious if we get there, and I hope we will, we're going to work really hard. And I think we have a great shot at this. It's going to be a huge amount of work. Like it's a massive responsibility. Mm. But I feel at this stage of who I am, I feel that I could do it. And I think I could do a good job. Mm. Um, And I know that I would, I'm not work shy. I'll always put my shoulder to the wheel and give it my best shot mm. so no I don't worry about that I also have a good team around me so this is also a collective effort it's mm. not just about one uh, one person and to be honest with you as, as countless people have said to me she couldn't be any worse <laughs> than what we've had <laughs> for the last hundred so years <laughs> I have urged people to please set the bar a little bit higher than that you know because she couldn't be worse you know uh, so yeah. I, I hope we can inspire that kind of sense of momentum and possibility not naivety but a real sense of purpose around things that we can achieve together you know but you know what I honestly think that that sense of naivety has been lacking why not dream the big dream oh yeah essentially the party is built on the dream of a united Ireland of an equal place right Mm. so why not like I said, we tried everything else, you know, it's like the thing for The Simpsons, you know, we tried nothing and we're all out of ideas kind of thing. But this is something new. There's one thing I wanted to bring up with you, because there's a worry going around that in power that you will be different from what you have been in opposition, right? That all of a sudden, you know, when you're handed the keys of the castle, so to speak, that all of a sudden you go, well, hang on a second now, we need to make sure we get back in, you know, we get reelected the next time we if we have a long term plan, etc. Do you think that much will change? You know, you know, will you be a different party in power compared to what you've been in opposition for a century? Well, no. Um, you see, wh- who we are as a party, if you, if you look at it, even in the last decade, has evolved. Mm. Like, we're much bigger now. We're much more diverse now. I think all of that's been positive. We're, we had been for a long time led by two men. We're now led by two women. There's been a generational change. So you could look at Sinn Féin and say... That's not the Sinn Féin of the 1990s. Mm. Well, of course it's not. You you always have to evolve. That's what life is mm. uh, about. So, of course, we're always going to be evolving. But will we change in terms of our ideological stance, our ethic, the things that we believe in, the things that drive us? No. Mm. And, and I'd go further and say there'd be no point in us being in government if we were to go in and say, right... For, 
put that through the shredder, the manifesto, and let's just carry on. Yeah. Oh, no, Brian, you're saying. the health minister. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not going to be happening. But that wouldn't make any any sense uh, at all. So f- for me, I'm, I'm conscious of a couple of things. First of all, I respect people and I respect their intelligence. And when people... You build up an expectation in, in people. I want to be sure that we can deliver it. Mm. So when I say not having a naivety, see on the thing of housing, we are stress testing to the nth degree that we can actually do what we can do within what kind of timelines, what what it's going because we have to deliver that in, in real time. Mm. And I will not be the leader of the Taoiseach that stands up and sings alibis to people. Yeah. That always drives me mad, you know. We have the election campaign and literally within two weeks, you can set your clock by them. They're up saying, oh, no, well, we can't do that. Yeah, sorry, we or got that wrong. Who is it? Some, I won't name them, but a, a politician once said, well, those are the kind of things that you say when you're in an election. Yeah, it is. That you thing know who I'm talking about. Yeah. So I don't, that's that. That's not what we're at here. We mm. We really need to bring our A game. I'm a United Irelander. I'm an Irish Republican. I believe in social justice. I believe in freedom. I believe in fairness. I believe Ireland can play a really important and interesting role in the world mm. as a non-aligned, independent, albeit small uh, nation, but not without, uh, with, not without global reach. I believe all of those things. And the only purpose for us being in government is to really go at those issues, mm. go at them hard, um, and actually demonstrate to people that you can have a government that's passionate about those things, that doesn't come out with alibis or excuses or doesn't take fright mm. and walk away from the things that they believe in. Yeah, I want people to see and experience what a government like that feels like and understand that you can be all of those things and still not leave your people exposed mm. to kind of crazy you know, knee-jerk or irrational behaviour. Being a dreamer, being an idealist doesn't necessarily... Maybe there's a piece of naivety in it, but there's also a real practical application of that. Mm. Um, One of the things that's come up recently, and it's been a sort of an interesting case study in terms of what Sinn Féin would do in terms of foreign policy, right? It's always been a party that has supported the people of Palestine. It's still very much a party that supports the people of Palestine. A lot of people have expressed to me an, an anger or a disappointment that Sinn Féin is choosing to go uh, to the United States of America and to be part of St. Patrick's Day. I know you have your reasons for yeah. doing that and I want you to explain them to me because, you know, if that's what you decide to do, that's what you decide to do. But do people understand why you're going and why are you going? I, I hope they do. And Let me just, just start by saying, like, the, the relationship between us and the Palestinian struggle is generations old. You know, it's a very deep uh, relationship. And I know when people look on with horror at what's happening in Gaza, in the West Bank, the the level of rage, I I feel that too. And so I understand why people are put out, anxious or even angry at the idea. Like, why would you go to America? The United States are on the wrong side of this. Mm. Categorically, the, the support for Israel... The arming of Israel is indefensible. It's it's wrong and it and it needs to stop. Can you say these things to Joe Biden or Blinken or whoever you meet there? Because, you know, they're not yeah. going to like it. Well, here's the thing. Of course, they're not going to like it, but it remains the truth. So that's one part of it. The other part of it, just 
on, on this side of the ledger, as wrong as the United States is on all of the above, and I'll, I'll come back to what we'll do when we're there, they've been very much on the right side of the Irish peace process. Mm-hmm. This is the great irony that they used their influence and so on in such a constructive way in Ireland and not just going back into the 90s and 2000s, but when Brexit hit, mm-hmm. I mean, America stood with, with Ireland. So we have... I have a responsibility in my job to ensure that I take care of all of that business. The Irish peace process needs to stay on the rails, needs to advance, needs to, and I'm determined to drive uh, that on. They know our view in America on Palestine. It's not new. This has, we, we disagree fundamentally on these issues. Not going, in my opinion, achieves nothing. Going gives us the opportunity to raise the issues very, very directly. And think about it this way. Ireland, not just Sinn Féin, but Ireland is a very pro-Palestinian country by international standards. And we're very unusual in being pro-Palestinian and still having that kind of access to the American system and to the White House. Mm. That's not the norm. Yeah. So therefore, I think we have a responsibility to use that relationship, not just in the short term, but in the medium and the longer term, to raise the issues now of the absolute need for a ceasefire, uh, for America to get off the wrong side and back onto the right side, to urge that very strongly. But in the longer term also, we have to achieve self-determination for the Palestinians. That will require diplomacy in a political process. The Americans, in my opinion, in whatever role the states will have a role in that, Ireland brings experience for that. We are allies with the Palestinians. And so we need to line that up in a way that's constructive and helpful. But do I understand the initial gut reaction? Of course I do. Let me just finish by saying this. Imagine we weren't to go. And not just us, by the way, just for clarity. I have nothing to do with hand and shamrocks to anyone, just to be clear. No, the Taoiseach does that. That's so, the only one who so, does that. you know, yeah. and I hope when he gives the Taoiseach, and I feel she gives the the shamrock to the, to the American president, I feel very sure that there will be private words and public words on Palestine. Hmm. I feel very sure. And he will have the support of Irish people everywhere uh, on that. So just to make that point on the shamrocks, but if we weren't to go, there would be one group of people who would be very happy and who would throw up St. Patrick's Day party like no, never before. And that group of people are Zionists everywhere. Mm. If the Irish were to walk away from the relationship and the influence, I won't go so far as to say power, but the very clear influence that we have, that would be the wrong thing to do. And that's my sincerely held political judgment. Mm. I've raised the issue of with the ancient order of Hibernians were around the, this place talking to different political parties and independents, raised it with them. We've raised it with the State Department. Philip, everywhere I go, I raise the issue of Palestine. Raised it with Rishi Sunak. Yeah. Because the Brits are into this up to their necks as well. Mm. Disgracefully, certain European governments likely, likewise, so everywhere we go, myself and Michelle, we're very conscious mm. in raising this issue and pressing the case. And we just need to be persistent in doing it. So that's the rationale. Mm. But do I get how some people will see things differently? 
and are uncomfortable with that. I get that. And I want mm. people to know I'm not blind to that. I understand that feeling. Well, I suppose if there's one people who should know that you can only make peace, you can't make peace by talking to your friends. Uh, you know, we have to, on some level, be prepared to talk to people that we disagree with. And can so I tell you, I will talk to the devil himself if it stops kids dying in Gaza. Mm. That's my position. Um, you looking forward to New York? <laughs> <laughs> Well, interestingly, we're doing, I'm, I'm going to be in the UN. I'm, I'm actually meeting the Palestinian ambassador to, to the United Nations. That's one of the things I'm doing. Mm. So I look forward to that. Um, and I'm speaking at a conference in the Cooper's Union Hall. Oh, very nice. It's like an Irish Unity mm. Summit. So they've got an incredible lineup of speakers kind of from Republican nationalist backgrounds, but also loyalist backgrounds and so on. So it's a, it's a really, really good... And it, it's being organised in cooperation with the Irish-American organisation. So I'm advised that it's going to be packed mm -hmm. to the rafters. So I'm, I'm going to enjoy that. I don't enjoy the to and fro and back and forth. No. Jet lag, not my thing. No, it's... Uh, Asher, but look, it sort of goes with the territory, especially at it's this time It's a very first world problem. It is indeed, it is say, indeed. Yeah. But it does... I often wonder how people maintain the energy, especially like, you know, Joe Biden, not a young man, and flying yeah. to, you know, Israel or wherever he's going yeah. and coming back again. On that very mm. subject, right, Molly, who works with me on this podcast, her parents had a lovely question for you. It was like, okay. what, what do you do to relax? What's on your playlist <laughs> at the moment? What do you do when you're not doing this? But I'm not doing this. Um, I'm always doing this. Well, I'm this. doing this a lot. <laughs> so, like, the time of... I, I can be my own worst enemy, you know, yeah. when... And I think lots of people who are busy, mm. you know, we are our own worst enemy because sometimes the boundaries get blurred around and you have to remind yourself that you do actually have to rest mm. and you have to stop at times. So like when I'm not doing this, I'm a mammy. I have two kids. I try to keep my house cleaner than my office. So yeah, I mean, out and about, like people will chat to you, stop to you. Sometimes people will stop you to give out about something, which is fine. Yep. I shouldn't add. They, they shoot that. their shot when they're out there. They just go, <laughs> right, come on, I've got so you. Now. Oh, now that I come here, now that I have you. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, generally, people are friendly, and I was, actually, I was in um, I was in Navin last mm -hmm. night at a at a meeting, and I was coming out of a hotel, and I was pursued at top speed by a bride and her groom. <laughs> she was from Louth, he was from Clondalkin, and they were absolutely like the best of crack. Obviously, Sinn Féin supporters. Fortunately, I wasn't being pursued for any negative reasons. But the crack was unbelievable. I mean, people are gas. You know yeah. what I mean? I love that part of this life, meeting people. And you kind of you kind of have a privileged position because even though people say, well, politicians are ranked, you know, with are greeted with derision and mm. all the rest of it, which is true. And I don't really blame people sometimes for that. But for still and all... You're let into people's lives yeah. in a way that's really, really special. Yeah. I would imagine only maybe religious people and probably hairdressers have the same kind of relationship <laughs> with people. We get told they everything. Tell you everything. Everything. <laughs> Whether you want to know it or not is kind of irrelevant. I love that because I love people. But does that feed into the the desire to do something for them, right? Because I get it. I'm nowhere near where you are, you know, but and people want you, they want you to help them. They want a house. They yeah. want their brother in Australia to be able to come home. Does yeah. that light the fire in you? Absolutely. And I, I always think of my, my other half always says to me that the best thing I can do 
is to be very sure that I am outside of the bubble mm. of here and actually out on the road talking to people. Yeah. That's the kind of thing. I come back from that invigorated, more determined, even when you're out and the news that you're hearing is that people are finding it very hard, you mm. know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the whole purpose mm. of this life. Um, and I don't think that you could sustain, like I'm doing this a while now. Yeah. And I don't think that you could do the long haul in political life unless you really like people. Yeah. I, th- I think it would be a nightmare of a job. For an introvert. If you were saying, oh, crikey, you know, not, or if yeah. you were just not interested in saying, you know, get lost, missus, is, yeah. is not like a good look for, yeah. it, you just couldn't sustain it. You can't fake this. Yeah. This has to be, in my opinion, has to be real. this has to be authentically mm. you. And I, I love people. Mm. It, the, the good, the bad, I mean, some of the, the stuff is is kind of crazy and all of that, but I love that. And I particularly love the districts, the neighborhoods that I represent. Like I have the North Inner City, mm. great, the crack. best people in the world. Ah, for God's sake, you couldn't beat Cabra, my own home, yeah. neighborhood, and then into the Docklands and up to Drumcondra and all of that. So mm. yeah, I love that. Right. My final question for you before we both have to run off and do yeah. other fam- family things this evening, right? What will be the first thing that you will want to do if the day comes and the Irish people choose you to be the Taoiseach of this country? What will, will it be housing? Will that yes. be the first thing? Top of the list. Top of the list. What will be Top the second the thing? List. Will it also be housing? Well, the, the first thing is housing. The second thing is uh, issues around waiting lists for particularly, though not exclusively for children with scoliosis, spina bifida, kids looking for mental health services that are in real, real difficulties. There's a huge urgency there. Mm. So the, the the health system needs a lot of work, but there's an immediacy around people on waiting lists for a very, very long time. We need to get to grips with that and people lying on, on trolleys. And of course, as a United Irelander, it, there will be an immediacy and I hope an energy and a vigor around kind of the, the new Ireland you know, would bring in that forward. But housing, housing, housing is number one on the agenda. We have a fascinating few months ahead of us. We have local we sure elections. Do. We have European elections. And then at some point, we're going to have a general election. Yes. I hear the call to the vote there. So I think that's about the perfect time. Mary Lou, <laughs> thank you so much for talking to me. My pleasure. Good to meet you, Margaret. Bye, there you have it, the woman herself, Mary Lou MacDonald. Delighted uh, that she was able to take the time and indeed reschedule when I got it wrong there. And I hope that was a slightly different conversation to what you'd normally hear with her in Irish media. If you enjoyed it, please share and consider supporting the podcast on patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm. But most importantly, share it among your friends, see what they say, especially if they're part of the 70 million Irish diaspora around the world, because uh, this is who she was talking directly to. And this is who I, this is who I make this podcast for every week. That is it, my friends. So from a slightly quieter Dublin street than what we had the intro in, uh, I'll be back again next week with another Global Gale podcast. But until then, look after yourselves, look after one another, and I'll talk to you all again very soon. Good luck. (laughs) 